SCP-4971 Rituals How do you contain a god? I've asked this question before, as the answer tends to be pretty interesting. Some can be asked, or convinced, or bargained with. Some can be forced into containment through convoluted or strange containment procedures, and some simply cannot, left to their own devices against a powerless foundation. But, what if it was theoretically possible to contain a god, and the foundation knew exactly how to do it, but the cost was simply far too great? That's the scenario we'll be looking at today with SCP-4971. In addition to that question, we also get a strange extra-dimensional location, cultists, and some classic cosmic horror. 4971 is a space-time anomaly inside of the former Southwood Park Mall in Havensbrook, Indiana. The entrance to this anomaly inside of the mall varies from time to time, but inevitably, if someone wanders through the mall, they'll find it. We'll get to specifics about the nature of this anomaly later, but basically it's a gigantic, weird forest. The mall itself opened in 1985 and closed in 2006, leading local vagrants and trespassers to frequently break in in order to scavenge the empty shops. At one point, the police received some calls that a group of teenagers had entered the mall and were performing satanic rituals in there. The police found evidence of a break-in, but nothing else. At this point, obviously, the space-time anomaly did not exist within the mall. In 2007, though, the local police responded to another call about a break-in, this time with witnesses reporting screams and some unnatural sounds coming from inside. The group of trespassers had apparently been caught previously trying to break in, and this time they succeeded. When the police searched the mall this time, they stumbled upon the anomaly, newly created it seems. A number of local law enforcement officers were lost within the anomaly before the foundation swooped in, and all that was recovered were scrambled transmissions of officers panicking. After the discovery of the SCP, the foundation began piecing together what it was and what might have created it, or rather, who might have created it. One of the missing teenagers that broke into the mall and didn't come back out was 19-year-old Katerina Randolph. Katerina had disappeared from her grandparents' house in Maine some time previously, but the police suspected that she really just ran off because she had been spotted mingling with a group of far-left naturalist pseudo-occultists, known as the Daughters of Eden. Essentially, the Daughters of Eden are a group of neo-druids, who believe that mankind has disrupted the natural order of things, and attempt to use various magic rituals to restore the balance of nature. Katarina had already been arrested at least four times as part of the Daughters of Eden's protests, but for some reason she was never taken back to Maine. The Foundation had been watching the Daughters of Eden because of one of their members, Anna Christian, who was also involved with a group of actual occultists operating out of three Portlands. About a decade ago, Anna had gotten her hands on some occult artifacts from Miskatonic University in Massachusetts, and has been using them for minor summoning rituals. 
Miskatonic University is not a real school, by the way, but a fictional creation of H.P. Lovecraft, used in a number of stories set in the Cthulhu mythos. The most notable thing that Anna had grabbed was a text called The Last Appeal of Biffy. Part of the text had been used in the 80s by a group to summon a minor, planar entity, which was apparently significant enough that any veteran MTF agent would be familiar with the event. According to stories, The Last Appeal of Biffy was written by a minister recording the last words of a witch named Biffy during an exorcism that involved burning her alive. Occultists believe that Biffy was reciting an old chant that would summon nature spirits to drive away European colonials. There had been six copies of this text originally, three of which were burned by other Puritans, and one lost at sea in the 1870s. One was bought by someone named Oswald Carter, who I assume to be connected to Marshall Carter and Dark, who then burned it. The final copy ended up in Hitler's bedside table until the end of World War II, and it eventually ended up at Miskatonic. A few months prior to the discovery of 4971, the Foundation had raided the Daughters of Eden, arresting Anna in the process. They didn't find two things, though, Katerina and the last appeal of Biffy. It's no coincidence that shortly afterwards, Katerina is seen on camera breaking into the mall with the last appeal of Biffy in hand, and then a crazy space-time anomaly is found. A lot of the last appeal contains small incantations to summon lesser entities and to alter the weather and temperature, etc. There is a big ritual in the text, though, that summons an entity whose name translates to the one who knows silence in the earth. This is the final entity that Biffy called upon as they drove flaming pokers into her eyes, so it's the actual last appeal. Presumably, it would be pretty problematic if someone summoned this thing. The Foundation knows about this entity because they had gone to Miskatonic in the past, and the Dean of Anthropology there had split the text in half, giving the second half to the Foundation. The only reason that Biffy didn't succeed on summoning the entity during her death was because it involves a hefty amount of human sacrifice. The Foundation assumes that this is why Katarina entered the mall with a crew of cultists. The second half of the text describes an inverse incantation that can close the door to the dimension containing this entity if it's ever opened. Basically, it's fairly easy to open this gate, involving the sacrifice of a handful of humans. Close the gate after it's been opened, however, is far trickier. It depends on how soon you try to close the gate after it's been opened, with the number of human lives required doubling every hour. There is an upper limit to this number, though, and it was just reached, so now the Foundation knows that they could close the gate on this entity, but it would require the sacrifice of every living human on the planet. They're going to keep looking into it. So, we have a containment procedure then, one that they're pretty sure would work, it just requires a hefty sacrifice. They submit the viable containment procedures to the Ethics Committee to see how they feel about it, but they're not quite on board. 
The problem isn't entirely based around killing off every human on the planet, which the Foundation would be willing to do if the situation called for it, but also the problem is that they have yet to see this entity and don't really know that much about it. The Ethics Committee rules that the containment procedures are not acceptable given the current condition of the anomaly itself. Since the containment procedures are not accepted, they send it over to the Classification Committee to rule on what object class this anomaly is. This is the committee that looks at the nature of the SCP itself and the containment procedures to decide whether it's safe or Euclid, etc. Normally this isn't that big of a decision, but this is a somewhat unique scenario, as there are containment procedures that would work to contain the entity, but the Foundation cannot carry them out for some reason. This results in the creation of the Kernunos class. This is a rather specific name for an object class, as Kernunos is a Celtic nature deity, often depicted with horns or antlers, worshipped as the Lord of the Forest. The name doesn't really have anything to do with the Foundation having containment procedures they can't utilize, but is really more specifically connected to the entity in 4971, as we'll see. When raiding the living quarters of Katarina, the Foundation found the Manifesto of the Daughters of Eden, and were given a small excerpt from it. They refer to themselves as both the Daughters of Eden and the Daughters of Gaia, referring to the Greek Mother Earth Goddess. In short, they vehemently oppose the modern world and the corruption of the natural earth. They claim that the sword of Gaia's deliverance has been passed into their hands, and they will wield it without hesitation to wash this world clean of the sins of their fathers and sons. They plan to welcome Gaia's champion back into the world and allow it to torment the souls of all who have scarred the world. So, presumably, Katarina and the Daughters of Eden went into the mall to summon this champion of Gaia, a nature deity, to cleanse the modern world. I know what you've all been waiting for, and that's an exploration log. Let's get into it then, with MTF Epsilon 13 as a six-man team heading into the mall shortly after its discovery. Various hostile entities have been encountered leaving the mall, which were put down by the Foundation, and a steel slab was placed over the entrance. The team enters through the front into the main lobby, and the air inside the mall smells off the first sign that something is amiss. There is plenty of evidence of looting and vandalism throughout the mall, but the team soon comes across a collapsed skywalk, something that vandals surely didn't do. Walking past a clothing store, they spot three huddled figures behind clothing racks, and one humanoid figure bound in thick webbing in front of them. The humanoid figure is not moving, and the three figures just sit and watch the team from the shadows, so they move on. As they continue moving, they realize that the hall they've been going down has extended past the external dimensions of the mall, a pretty common occurrence in these types of situations. The sound of rushing water grows louder as they keep moving, however, and finally they enter into the atrium, where they fully encounter SCP-4971. SCP-4971 takes the form of a massive forest, 
similar in appearance to locations in the Yukon or the Pacific Northwest, about 400,000 cubic meters in volume. The forest extends as far as the eye can see in every direction, broken up only by occasional large plateaus or mountains in the far distance. The team is standing on top of a cliff overlooking the forest, and from this side, the mall behind them looks overgrown. The sun is low in the sky, close to setting, and in front of them, towards the edge of the cliff, is a large symbol carved into the earth. The symbol consists of concentric rings surrounding a series of triangles and more rings. A red fluid, later determined to be human blood, fills in the carvings of the symbol. At the center is the remains of a fire, beneath which lie the charred remains of some sort of hoofed animal, with several small glass vials shattered on the ground nearby. In front of the symbol is a makeshift wooden altar, the lantern and a bloody machete resting on top of it. Next to the altar are several blood-soaked sponges and a leather-bound book, half of the last appeal of Biffy. Obviously, the site of a ritual. The team had been briefed on the last appeal of Biffy, so they recognized the symbol as the one used to summon the powerful entity, but since that ritual requires quite a few human sacrifices, they figured there would be a bunch of bodies here. A total of 61 people entered the mall with Katarina, and there were also four cops that went missing, which would be enough to summon the entity, but the fate of their bodies is currently a mystery. Since it doesn't look like they have much light left, the team decides to attempt to get to the bottom of the cliff to make camp. Over the next two hours, they nearly reach the bottom, but point out that the sun hasn't moved since they arrived. At the bottom, they encounter a small clearing at the entrance to the forest, and they discuss their mission here. Their goal is to locate the powerful entity, the one who knows silence in the earth, so that the Foundation can bring in a heavy fire team and eliminate it. The problem is, as I said, they have no idea what this thing looks like or what it does. The last appeal of Biffy is mostly just curses and threats, with no descriptions, and if it wasn't for the presence of this anomaly or the summoning of a different entity back in the 80s, most would just write off the text as mad ravings. They radio back to command, explaining that they've entered some type of forest, noting that the trees are bigger than normal here, everything is more colorful than it should be, and the sun hasn't moved. Command wants to make sure they grab the book, but otherwise they want the team to travel to a nearby water source, either a river or stream, and camp out there until the fire team arrives. As they head out, one of the team members notes that something in this forest is creating a lot of electromagnetic noise, which will likely screw with their equipment. After an hour of walking through the forest, the team realizes that five or six entities have been trailing them for some time. They keep going, but 20 minutes later, they hear some sort of animal chattering nearby, and the entities have stopped following them. Using night vision, they see a glimpse of an animal ahead of them, with a weird light around its head. As they approach the river, it seems as if it's actually getting dark now, and they no longer have contact with command. 
as they start to set up camp, all of their voice recorders cut out in unison. That's all we get out of Epsilon 13 for now. We are then given a Foundation document discussing the specifics of SCP-4971. It's similar to many other types of space-time anomalies they've found, as it has specific boundaries, it doesn't move or shift, and it isn't hidden in any way. It's different in a few ways, however, one being that it is the largest anomaly of this type by far, and since its existence is being maintained by an external energy source, they hypothesize that the source is an entity of considerable power. The last appeal of Biffy is a cry for the annihilation of things considered unnatural, that is, man-made. The force responsible for this annihilation will bear some likeness to Earth, and is associated with a symbol, one that Biffy carved into her own chest as she died. The symbol is that series of rings and triangles, known as the Voxen Eye. The Voxen Eye has pretty ancient origins, and has been seen in documents found in Druidic ruins in southern Britain. The documents describe the Voxen Eye as a sort of focus through which power can be channeled, specifically to move nature into action. Another text that discussed the Voxen Eye was called Porter's Writings on Arcane Beasts, written by a Victorian-era cryptozoologist named Edward Porter, who had encountered several other SCPs. Perhaps he was associated with Lord Blackwood. In the text, when discussing an unknown prehistorical North American civilization, Porter writes that they feared the trees more than anything else, as the trees provided them with both great bounty and great fear. On nights of the full moon, they would make sacrifices to the god of the tall trees, named the one who knows silence in the earth. It's said that this entity would emerge from the forest to take payment in human hearts for the protection of the tribe. Only through a Voxen eye could this entity be viewed and its magnificence be understood. Modern occultists familiar with this entity describe its name as a taboo, and uttering it would be crossing a line. The tale of Biffy and her cry for help is regarded as a tragedy but her incantation to specifically call upon this entity is considered dangerous and foolish. Some even argue that Biffy was mistaken, and was attempting to contact the wrong entity entirely. Regardless, occultists believe that not even death would allow you to escape meeting with this entity after calling it. So, one MTF down, time to send in another one. The heavy fire team, IOTA-44, are sent into the forest, with the goal of both finding the first team, and eliminating the entity responsible for this. By the time the fire team reaches the forest, the sun has returned to its previous position. It would later be calculated that the sun spends 12 hours in a stationary setting position before actually setting, and then spending one hour in darkness before restarting. The forest is quiet now, but the team begins picking up a broadcast on their comms frequency of someone singing The Girl from Ipanema. Many figures begin moving through the foliage around them, 
and something in the sky above them illuminates the forest briefly. In front of them, standing beneath a tree, is a humanoid figure, mostly hidden in darkness. It is naked, with a mess of tree branches, leaves, and vines bound around its neck like a collar. Instead of a head, it has a glowing white symbol, vibrating rapidly. The team's video footage distorts heavily while looking at it, and they ask Command how they should deal with it. Of course, they can't get a response from Command, and all they hear is the singing continuing. They attempt to communicate with the humanoid entity, but it only begins moving towards them, rapidly disappearing and reappearing. When in doubt, of course, open fire, so one of them shoots a barrage of bullets at the strange entity. As the bullets strike the target, a glowing white light erupts from the entry points, and it staggers backwards before collapsing. There is the sound of a high-pitched scream, followed by breaking glass, and the symbol where its head should be shatters and disappears. At this point, the team's sensors pick up many figures closing in on them, and they begin to see more glowing white symbols popping up around them. The figure on the ground begins shaking violently, before rising as if being lifted by its shoulders. Another sound is heard, later determined to be the scream and breaking glass, but in reverse, and the white symbol appears above the entity's head again. When really in doubt, run, and the team flees from the enclosing group of entities. One of the team members trips and falls, and he is quickly swarmed by the figures. Another member begins grappling with one of the entities, attempting to shoot it. His arm is soon ripped off by the entity, however, and he disappears. As the other members continue to flee, they pick up a transmission from MTF Epsilon 13. They tell the fire team to head for open air and get higher, as the entities seem to be restricted to the forest. The fire team sprints towards a rise out of the forest as more and more entities converge upon them, and suddenly the ground begins to shake. One of the members falls behind and is grabbed, and she says something that is expunged from the record before she is shot by one of her teammates. Three members down, the rest of IOTA 44 regroup on the rise, safe for the moment from the entities. They converse with Epsilon-13, who speculate that the entities are fragments of the people that were sacrificed in the ritual. They won't die because they're being powered by something else, something pretty strong, that is also the source of the EM static. Epsilon-13 says that they were at a river nearby Iota-44 about a week ago, proving that time doesn't work the same here, another common occurrence. They lose connection with one another as Epsilon-13 reports a lot of static and something moving to the south of them. All radios cease working entirely as a loud, low, droning sound is heard across the forest. One of the IOTA-44 members' video camera records an image of a four-legged animal with a glowing white symbol for a head. Great. Now they've lost contact with two teams. In some cases, this might be when they send in the really impressive team to rescue everything, and 
Although that's not really what happens here, we're not quite done with the MTFs yet. First, though, we get an interview log between the Foundation and Anna Christian, the occultist who had been part of the Daughters of Eden before being apprehended by the Foundation. It seems the Foundation figured she might have some input on this situation and went to talk to her after losing contact with the teams. Anna is not especially cooperative, but they offer her the chance of release, so she answers some questions. When told that Katarina Randolph opened the gate using the last appeal of Biffy, she remarks how much of an idiot Katarina is, and that she warned her over and over about this. Anna explains that she's a witch, in the sense that she can sense more than normal people can, through talking to animals and hearing the trees whisper. She can also hear darker and older things as well. When she discovered there were other people like her out there, she was elated, and became enamored with the entire concept of the occult. She was most fascinated by rituals, such as mixing blood with ash and the gratings of a cloven hoof to poison water and rot crops. She says it's not power you own, but power you wield. Real power. She says that Katarina and those that followed her were eco-terrorists, not witches. They didn't care about the cost of performing these rituals. They just cared about saving nature. Anna had taught her how to do some things, such as rusting the treads on a bulldozer or turning land to mud. It was never enough for Katarina, though, and she said that they won't be finished until they can wipe the bile of man off of Gaia's face. When Anna and the Daughters of Eden got a hold of the last appeal of Biffy, they firmly believed that the entity mentioned in the text was a nature deity, a champion of Gaia. In time, though, Anna came to learn that this is not what the entity was. She tried to tell Katarina the truth of the situation, but Katarina refused to believe her and ran off with the text. The truth of the matter is that the one who knows silence in the earth isn't a god of nature at all, but instead is a god of sacrifice. The world it lives in, the entities that live there, and itself, are all created and sustained by sacrifices and rituals. It takes the souls of humans, plants, and animals, and turns them into new life, in its own image. She compares the way it would remake our world to replacing our rivers with battery acid. In other words, totally inimical to our natural life, the opposite of what Katarina intended. The Foundation asks her how to close the gate, but they already know the answer to that, and Anna just laughs, because the cost is too high, and Katarina didn't care about that at all. If you can't contain it, then you gotta kill it, and the Foundation then asks how. Anna says you can't, not with all the bombs and bullets in the world, because it is sustained by rituals. Plenty of rituals are performed around the world every day, including by the Foundation, but it's not just magical rituals involving goat blood under a full moon. It's small rituals and sacrifices performed by everyday people, constantly. 
to kill this entity, you'd have to stop the entire world from doing these tiny rituals. Rituals that are likely part of their daily routines that they're not even aware of. This would also involve the Foundation stopping a number of rituals that they perform to keep plenty of other dangerous SCPs contained. Since they can't contain it, and they can't kill it, all they can do is hope that it never finds the gate and enters into our world. There's one final video transmission recorded by MTF Epsilon 13, and they're not in great shape. One member speaks to the camera and says that they've been there for two months now and have run out of rations. Anything they try to eat just burns their mouth, giving credence to what Anna said about how the entity will reshape our world. And the water is drinkable, but is making them sick. They're up in the mountains now, heading towards some lights they've seen on the other side. They are currently resting on a narrow outcropping, and it's unclear how they managed to get there without climbing equipment, but they continue on. They eventually end up on a wide plateau, overlooking the forest and more mountains, and they see a naked human dancing on the edge of the plateau. The team draws their weapons and approaches, spotting a symbol carved into the ground beneath her, and a human heart nearby. The human is female, and she is singing the girl from Ipanema. After yelling at the girl to get on the ground, she turns to the team, revealing herself to be Katarina Randall. A large wound is visible on her chest, but she continues dancing and singing. One of the members of Epsilon 13 opens fire on Katarina, and she collapses to the ground. Suddenly, a loud, low droning sound is heard followed by a flash of light that knocks the team off their feet. One member stands, their video still recording, and sees an entity below them in the valley, later identified as the one who knows silence in the earth. It is a gigantic deer, with its body terminating below its neck, and its head replaced with a massive, vibrating, white, glowing crest. White glowing orbs spin around its torso, sending shimmering flecks into the air around it, and in the center of its head crest is a circular disc with a pitch black center. The entity slowly steps through the valley, turning to face the team as Katarina's body lifts upwards and hangs in the air. Katarina begins laughing and calls out to Gaia. Her body shakes, a reversed scream is heard and Katarina's head collapses into itself as a white seal emerges from her neck. They receive a signal on their radios of Katarina singing, and all but one of the team opens fire on her. The same droning sound is heard as one of the team, Mercury, begins to run away. She looks and sees the rest of her team suspended in the air, and watches as their hearts are ripped from their bodies by an unseen force. She continues to sprint across the mountain until she runs into Katarina again. Mercury stops, pulls a knife from her belt, and charges at Katarina as her video feed goes out. The Foundation put a stop to any more explorations into SCP-4971, and the mall was entirely sealed off. 
Sounds of entities continue to be heard from inside the mall, but so far the Foundation has no idea what to do with this situation. Any attempts at destroying the mall or the forest would likely only hasten the entity's discovery of our world. A number of months after losing contact with the teams, a transmitter from within the forest connected to a Foundation server and began transmitting a significant amount of data, including weather, topology, and electromagnetic field data. Also, the video and audio logs from both teams were received, which explains why the Foundation has them. After the transfer, the transmitter disconnected. Ten days later, it connected again, showing a video feed of a long-range radio tower set up on top of a mountain. A few weeks later, a single image was transmitted of the ground, with the words, Still Here, etched into the dirt. It seems that Mercury survived her scuffle with Katarina, and is stuck inside of the anomaly, but the Foundation wasn't about to risk a rescue mission. This would be the last they'd hear from her for eight years, at which point the transmitter would activate once again for 18 seconds, sending a video feed. A woman's face is visible in extreme close-up, with what looks like a triangle in her iris. She looks very frightened, and pulls the camera back to show her mouthing the words, Can't run anymore, and Sorry, before the feed ends. This is the last transmission they've received. I know, I know. Yet another all-powerful entity that's constantly on the verge of remaking or destroying our world is not exactly the most original concept nowadays. I think 4971 succeeds less in part due to its overall concept, and more due to the creepy unraveling and discovery of the teams as they explore this inhospitable dimension. The horror of the fate of the people sacrificed to open the gate, and how they're forced to remain in this forest, as only a fragment of their former selves. We can see that Katarina retained some part of her humanity after all of it, singing a song she likely had been fond of, but that's really all that remains. I'm not going to spout some grand lesson or profound moral to be taken from this SCP, as it's just some more classic cosmic horror. At this point, when you hear the words DJ Cactus and Exploration Logs, you either groan or get yourself something to drink and settle in. For those on board with this kind of stuff, though, it's some good horror.